The first reading is from Exodus. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land, strike down the Egyptians. He will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over the door, that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is a Passover, a sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. The second scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 17 through 30. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to one another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For our very first sermon series as a community, we have gone through a uh, series of, of scripture passages in this uh, series called At the Table, where we're looking at different passages where Jesus shared a meal around a table. And this morning, we are going to do something a little bit different. We have set up our scripture readings in two different meals. We have the Passover meal, which we heard about in the book of Exodus. And we have the Last Supper, as we heard about in, in Matthew's gospel. And what I believe is if we put aside these two different tables and allow a conversation to happen between them, we're going to understand exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Last Supper. And these two tables are really going to inform what this table means. My guess is for many of us, you might see this table differently if we allow these two other tables to speak to us today, together. Uh, we need to remember that Jesus, one of the things that he was best at was making memories. 
Jesus was masterful at making memories. This is the only reason why we have the Gospels, that Jesus actually did things that were worth remembering, worth writing about. And it's not coincidence that Jesus chose this Passover meal or the, the Last Supper while they were celebrating and preparing for uh, the Passover feast. That it wasn't just coincidence that Jesus was using this table to really talk about what he was planning on doing. And for thousands of years, our friends in the Jewish community have been celebrating the Passover meal. For thousands of years, they have been doing exactly what that passage in Exodus called them to do. Remember this. Remember this story. Retell this story to your children. And so uh, what they do is they gather on the, when the, after the sun sets. That's for the Jewish tradition. That's when the beginning of the day happens. And they gather together at the table. And the patriarch, the, the male figure, leads this ceremony around this table. And it gathers the family in a small, or a smaller community together. And they have this meal together. And every year, they do this. And it begins with the youngest child in the room asking a question. And I love that they do this. So the youngest, they pick the youngest child. And they have the youngest child ask this question. Why is tonight different from all other nights? Why is tonight special? And then they begin to tell the story. The story of the Exodus. What is important to know is that this Exodus story is the most important story for the Hebraic tradition. You might think there's other passages that might be more important. Maybe the Genesis story, the creation account of how we all came to be. Or maybe the story of Abraham, the father of a nation. But in actuality for them, they think that the story of Exodus about being delivered uh, is the most important story for their tradition. And the reason why is because they think the story of deliverance is the human story. It's not necessarily a story about what happened back then thousands of years ago, but this is our story. The fact that we begin in bondage and through a time of testing, walking through the desert, that God creates us freedom. He delivers us. The story begins in, in slavery, ends up at home. And for the Jewish tradition, this is the most important story for them. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he, uh, he shared a little bit about the Passover, and I found it really interesting. He shared that uh, history is what happened to someone else. Memory is what happened to me. You know, the, the way in which uh, our, our Jewish friends talk about the Passover meal is it's not a, it's not a memorial. It's not just simply a retelling, but this is a reliving they speak of it in the, the Hebrew words of memory, not just uh, a retelling or just reenacting. It's not like a, a Civil War battlefield where a bunch of people reenact a battle you know, just so we can, we can remember. But no, this is, this is our memory. This is for us in our life. This story is retold because humanity needs to remember over and over again that God delivers, that God can save so for us understanding this Passover story, we, we begin with, a, it's a really hard story. Exodus is a really difficult story, right? Like this, especially for us in our modern day, this begins with death, as we see here in this Exodus passage. It begins with a, a sense of dying. So in Exodus, uh, in verse 21 of this story, it says, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. I mean, this isn't a Disney beginning, 
Although oftentimes in Disney movies, it's a little bit dark, right? Especially for the parents. Anyone else notice that? Uh, it begins with death and blood. A modern or a postmodern reader might have a lot of protest with a story. Really? The killing of an innocent animal just to, to throw it above a doorway? Really? The killing of a firstborn for a whole nation? Stories are hard like this to read in our culture. But this story wouldn't be hard if you lived in a culture of oppression. If you woke up every single day in bondage, hoping for a way out, and for hundreds and hundreds of years, your community, were, were, you were enslaved to work in Egypt, this story would not be a story of just darkness. It would be a story of deliverance, of hope, of justice, and we need to remember that God, through Moses, came to Pharaoh and pleaded and asked for the release of these people and had these nine other plagues that happened before this happened, saying, I'm not going to relent until you release my people. And then Pharaoh chooses to say, let it be so. And then this heavy, dark night happened. For me, this reminds me that God takes justice very, very seriously. And is there oppression and injustice in our world today? that God might take seriously? Are there people who are hoping and praying for deliverance today? There are people in our community, in our own backyard, who are waking up every single day hoping for a way out. There are thousands of children in our nation who are waking up every single morning being trafficked. They wake up in another motel room, not sure what their day is going to be filled. We are praying for justice. There are people who are who, are, who pay money to get into our country to take a lot of the freedoms that we take for granted, all to be moved into a forced labor camp. And without knowing it, they are modern-day slaves working daily. There's still, there's still injustice in this world, and this story is actually a story of a God who can bring about deliverance and freedom. Even in our own lives, there are some of us who are enslaved to addictions and problems where there's very little hope. This story is for you and for me today that God can deliver and redeem you as well. This story is hard news, but it is still good news. And so they tell the story to remember this. They tell the story to remember that we once were slaves, but God can deliver us. It's interesting how they tell this story. And there's a couple of elements that they use to tell the Passover meal or the Seder meal. First is the bread. They, they have bread. It's not as fluffy as this bread. This, they have what they uh, eat in modern day. We call it matzah. It's unleavened bread. And the reason why they eat that uh, matzah is because uh, they have to remember in which the, how quickly they had to move out, out uh, from Egypt. So in Exodus, it uh, shares this uh, little word about the bread. If you don't mind, go on the next slide. Thank you. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had, not, they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. So there was like a sense of urgency. And so when they tell the story, they have this matzah bread to, to remind each other about how they had to leave on a dime. They had to flee for their life. And so they share this bread with one another. They also have... Um, a bitter herb, that's what else they, they use. They have a bitter herb. I found this outside. I think, think this is rosemary. Uh, 
So this isn't bitter necessarily, uh, although I'm not going to eat it right now. Uh, so this bitter herb uh, was used to remember the bitterness that they experienced in slavery. So oftentimes they would dip this into oil or something else and they would eat it and remember the bitterness that they experienced while being enslaved, to remember how hard it was. Then the next thing that they would have in the Seder meal is they would have a lamb. And of course, this would be for the sacrifice that they would, they would had to have made that, that, that evening, and the blood that they would have to have across the door, doorstep, that they would have to remember the sacrifice that was made. And then lastly, this is something that we might not really know, they would have wine. And they would actually have four cups of wine that they would drink throughout this meal. And some of you guys are going, thinking about converting. Uh, they would have, but each of these glasses of wine would be drank through this very, very long meal. And each would have a specific purpose. And there was a certain time in the meal that they would drink th- this uh, wine. The first one was the cup of deliverance. And uh, this cup of deliverance, and this all, excuse me, this goes back to a promise that God made in Exodus. If you could go back, there you go. So this is, this is the passage that these cups of wine uh, remind them. is Exodus 6, 6 through 7. Therefore, and listen to the promises of God. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. So these are the promises that they want to remember at this table. So they have uh, four different cups to tell each of these promises. So for the first cup, this is the cup of deliverance. And this is the Kiddush cup. You want to say it, you want to say it with me? It's not fair for me to say all these fun Hebrew words. You can say it with me. The Kiddush cup. Say it with me. Isn't that fun? Uh, this is the cup of deliverance. This is the reminder, I will bring you out. The second cup is the freedom cup, the Haggadah cup. Go ahead now. Haggadah cup, right? It's so fun to say. This freedom cup, this is, this is the promise, I will rid you of their bondage. And they would drink this cup about midway through the meal. The third cup that they would have would be the redemption cup, the Baraka cup. Say Baraka. Isn't that fun? Baraka cup. This is the redemption cup. I will redeem you. They would, they would drink this cup at the very end of the meal, after the food has been consumed. They would have this cup, and they would remember that God is a God of redemption. And then the final cup is the fourth cup, the, the consummation cup, Zeba Toda. Say it with me. Zeba Toda. Mm. This is the consummation cup. I will take you for my people and I will be your God. You're going to be my, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. You hear the, the deep relationship, the intertwining of identity, that you're my people, I've claimed you now, and you claim me. I'm yours, you're mine. Almost like a wedding, right? And so they would drink these four cups. And on this fourth cup, they would drink this cup while they sang the psalms to each other, the Hallel psalms. So they would sing these psalms to each other as they drank this fourth final cup, the cup of consummation, the cup of completion. You're mine, and I'm yours. You see the beauty of that. Now, the reason why we're having these two tables, the Passover table and the Last Supper, speak into this is because uh, on this side of Christ that we get to look at things like this and wonder, 
is there anything to this? Is there anything to this Passover meal that speaks to what Jesus was up to? And so as we think about this, Hebrews 10, 1 comes to us. It says this, the law, this right here, is only a shadow of the good thing, the gospel that is coming. It's not the realities in itself. So this story is speaking into a bigger story, a greater story. This table is pointing to another table that will be one day. That's the beauty of this. And so let us think now of Jesus' table. There is this famous painting of da Vinci that we have that's probably stuck in our mind when we think about the Last Supper. And what would be interesting for you to maybe consider is that this, this table right here resembles what was very normal for Jesus and his disciples. That the entire Jewish nation would practice and celebrate the Passover meal as well as the other festivals in the Jewish tradition. So Jesus, he observed the Passover every single year. Every single year, Jesus would observe and practice the Passover meal. Now think about that from his own understanding of what would be to come. What that meal might have meant to him. Likewise, all of his other disciples would have practiced this meal too. This wouldn't be something unfamiliar to them. That this would be something that would be be very normative to them. They almost could turn off part of their mind and go through the celebration like they do with their family every single year. Kind of like for many of us, what happens on Christmas is pretty predictable. You know, like... All right, this is, you're coming down the stairs here. This is when you're doing this or that. And some even bad things are predictable, right? Uncle so-and-so likes the eggnog too much. So-and-so starts talking about politics a little too early. You know, those type of things might be normative. And so what Jesus would have experienced, what his disciples would have experienced, Jesus now creates a new memory. He takes this old table and makes it into a new table. There are a couple things that would have stood out to Jesus' disciples as well as the original hearers that might be unfamiliar to us. The first thing is that this table was meant to be a table for the family. And with Jesus, this isn't, this isn't their family. And Jesus is acting as their head. And so Jesus is creating a new sense of connectedness, a new sense of family. And thank God that that's what this is as well, that like for us who are uh, longing for a greater sense of family, that we have this table as well, that we got to be a part of something bigger. So Jesus, he's creating a new sense of family with us, and he's acting as the head. The other thing that they would have noticed is that the way in which Jesus talked about the bread was very, very different. He transformed this discussion of the bread as he talked about his body. Matthew 26, 26 says it like this. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, not saying, remember the time where you had to eat this and flee for your life. But he said, take, eat, this is my body. And you have to think for them, they're going, what? Uh, this isn't the script. <laughs> this isn't how it goes. It would have been very, very odd. And then for Jesus, he, he took that bitter herb and dipped it. And what did he talk about when he dipped the herb? He talked about the bitterness of betrayal. Not the bitterness of slavery, but the bitterness of betrayal that happens when people who you love and who've walked with you turn against you. Not only for Judas, who was going to betray him, but also for Peter. The other disciples who just deserted him. The sense of bitterness that Jesus was tasting at that table. 
And um, there would be something also in this meal, something that would be missing and something that would be neglected. First, the thing that would be missing is where's the main course? Where's the lamb? Where, where, <laughs> this is a very light meal. <laughs> are we on the Atkins diet? Like, what are we, what are we doing? Uh, and obviously, Jesus is, there's no lamb there because Jesus is the lamb. Like, Jesus is the offering. Jesus is the sacrifice. If you guys remember, even in the book of John, the first name that was declared publicly of Jesus, uh, before he even stepped into his ministry, he came to the Jordan to be baptized. And while John saw him at a distance, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. That John knew how this thing would end. It would be the fact that Jesus was going to be uh, sacrificed. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was pointing at something that this table, this Passover table, was pointing to the fact that Jesus would be the Lamb. There's no need to have a Lamb at this table anymore because I am the sacrifice, he might say. And we might have a real problem with this. The postmodern thinker might have a real problem with, why did Jesus have to die? Why did, really? Is blood really necessary nowadays? Uh, a pastor in New York, Tim Keller, he, he shares that uh, the thought that forgiveness always requires sacrifice. Forgiveness always requires sacrifice and suffering. That is the currency of forgiveness. Would it, uh, would it have been enough for God just to look at the sins of this world and go, we're good? Would you feel comforted in that? For God to say, we're fine? It's like, almost like a bad bank teller. Like you go up to the, the teller, you have a huge debt, and the teller just kind of gives you a wink, scratches it off. I mean, would that be enough for you? Jesus had to die, not because he needed to satisfy a bloodthirsty God, but Jesus had to die to show the extent of his love for you. It is in that sacrifice that we can know fully that God has loved us to the very core of what he could do. He has loved and redeemed us. Romans 5.8 says it like this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus was that sacrificial lamb. He was that sacrificial lamb showing that God truly loves you. So that was something that was missing. But there's something that was neglected. Remember in the, in, in the tradition that there's uh, th four different cups. If you were to read the story very carefully, you would think that the, after they had finished their meal, they had that third cup. And remember what that third cup is? That's the Baraka cup, the cup of redemption. And look at the Jesus' words at the end of their meal as they would drink that uh, third cup. Next slide, please. Jesus took the cup, that third cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him saying, drink from it, all of you. Notice the promise of God that I will redeem you, right? Jesus took that redemptive cup. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus is holding up the redemption cup and they drink it at the end of the meal saying that my blood is now going to be used for the redemption of your sins, redeeming you, claiming you, giving you a new beginning. 
And after that, he doesn't drink it. He says, I'm not going to drink this from this cup again until I enter the Father's kingdom. And so again, they, the disciples would have wondered, where is that fourth cup? What, what, what are we to do now? And so they, in their tradition, the scripture ends with the fact that he, uh, they sang the Hillel Psalms again, that they uh, sang those Psalms, and where did they go? In verse 30, it says, they had, after they had sung a psalm, where did they go? They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus alone, he began to look towards the cross. If you were to go to the Holy Lands, you would tour around different parts. The Garden of Gethsemane, I, I hear, is one of the most powerful places because you get to see the fact that Jesus, this was his last out, his last human out. He, he could have ran, but in here, the Garden of Gethsemane, he stays there and he begins to pray the most honest prayers of humanity, which is, Father, if there's any way Take this cup. Take this final cup. Take this from me. But not my will, but yours. Jesus was looking at that fourth and final cup, the cup of completion, the cup of consummation. And Jesus knew that that cup was going to be given to him. And where was that cup given to him? It was the fourth and final cup. The cup of completion was given to him on the cross. Given to him on the cross when when even, even on the cross, one of the things he declared was, I'm thirsty. And what did they do? They, they took a sponge of bitterness, vinegar, and wine, and they lifted it up to him. And in verse, uh, John 19.30 says this, when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Remember that the last cup is a cup of completion. He tasted that last cup, and said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and delivered his spirit. Jesus, that was his time of drinking that fourth and final cup. So for you and I, we're on the other side of this. We are in between these two tables, and the most important question for us this morning is to consider, what is finished? If this fourth cup was all about the completion, for us we need to consider, what was finished? What was that really about? Do you see how Jesus used this whole thing to tell you the story of what God can do in your life? That Jesus, he, he takes this Passover table and recreates it through the Last Supper so that we get to come at this table and remember our story. Not retell a story on either way, but remember our story. And what is our story? That Jesus takes the place of the Lamb so that we could be restored. Jesus, he took, he was poured out like wine so that we might be quenched. That in Jesus, he took the bitterness of humanity so we could taste the sweetness of God. That in Jesus, his body was broken so that we might finally experience what it's like to be made whole, to be made whole again. This is the table of deliverance for you today. The fourth cup of completion is tasted and what is finished? The power of guilt in your life, it is finished. Any religious force in your life that makes you feel like you have to earn God's approval, earn God's favor, it's finished. The need to prove yourself to other people, it is finished. 
The insecurity that comes with never knowing if you've been fully loved, that's finished. The shackles of sin and brokenness, all of that is finished. We have this opportunity to come to this cup and taste what it means to know it is done, it is complete, it is finished. This is the table of grace because it is in this meal that we get to taste and know that we have been freed in God to remember our story. It is in this time that the youngest in this room should stand up and ask, so why is today different from any other day? And the reason why today is different from any other day is that today the gift of God has been offered to you. Are you hungry for it? Do you thirst for it? Let us pray.